Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I am Sarah Black. And today we're going to be talking about the Lyceum Hall and the history of said Lyceum Hall. You may know it as the Salem Lyceum, Lyceum Hall, or currently Turner Seafood. Which is, you know, hey, where's the best seafood to get in town? Normally, Turner's is going to be the answer. Oh, definitely. I I go there quite frequently for lunch with my friend Sam. Ah, very good. It's a good place. Shout out to Sam. Hey, Sam. But before we get into that, obviously, we've got our little housekeeping tour time Patreon shout out stuff. And, And one last thank you to everyone that came to the live show. I don't know about you, but I am still living in that moment. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I've also had a few people uh, come on and be like, I'm so sorry we missed it. It wasn't on our radar. When's the next one? Uh, I've actually had people come up to me and tell me that other people told them how much fun it was. What? Yeah. That's great. And I was like, what? Who? And like, don't worry about it. Oh, we, 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 we got mutuals. And I was like, who? So so that's that's amazing. Yeah. I tell you, it was like an out of body experience in but, in the best way. But we will be doing another one. We at <laughs> least another one. We, we have some plans. We have a list. Yes. Of places and, and you, topics. And you might be on the list. Who are you saying you to? I don't know. Oh, the people that are listening. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? I, I don't know what I'm I'm just saying things. Well, that's what we do. We're podcasters. <laughs> we say things. So tour time. Real quick. I don't don't have anything. I haven't started yet. Yeah, we'll get there soon enough, Jeffrey. You said April 15th? Yeah. So I've had a couple tours. Um, On two occasions in the past week, I had, so I saved the podcast stuff, the plug to the end. And twice I had someone come up to me as we're saying goodbye and was like, I listened to you. I didn't even realize, which is funny. Because you would think that the voice would be enough of a recognition, but some people, no, 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 they no, just no. sign up without even knowing. And well, that, you also have like a tour voice. Oh, my tour voice? Yeah. It's a little different than this voice? Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Like like a lot of it. You think? It, it there's, there's a way different tone to it. I'm like presenting. Yeah. You, this is like casual. We're hanging out with the listeners, uh, you know, chat and history. That you're like. That's like my Lyceum voice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If I was lecturing <laughs> there. That's that's what it would be. And okay. it's it's weird because like to like hear you, I'm like, I know that. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Sarah's got a whole nother. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Like I hope I, it's a good secondary persona. Yeah, no, no, no. It's okay. great. But it is a little like when I walk by you, I hear you the most in um, Essex Street. No, no, Axelrod. When you're like by the PEM in the trees. Ah, yes. Because that's like one of the only times you're stopped and I walk past you. So I get like like 30 seconds worth of it. The same 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Usually. Yeah. Yeah. It's just before you you grab someone out of line. Uh, but it's like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, it's a very different tone that, that you speak in. So I, I can understand if they didn't quite pick up on it. Interesting. Also, we are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. So just saying, book your tours. Yeah. We're back at it for the season. Oh, and one last cool thing. I met this girl who, hmm, I think she was from, she was definitely from like the West, Midwest or West maybe Utah, and she told me how she loves history. 
I think maybe they're a Washington. But anyways, that's all the same. I know. It's all in that area. <laughs> that? I forgive me if she's listening. I forgot where you're from, but I did not forget this part. So she told me at the end that history and science are her thing, and she's um, she studied environmental science. And I'm not sure exactly what she does as a job currently, but on the side, she breeds horses. Now, sure, a really good side hobby. He's making a weird face right now. That's like a, that's a lot. That's not that's like, a, a, yeah. That, that's like some people do that like full time profet. Anytime anyone's like my side gig and I'm like, that's like a full time job. I think that might be where she's headed. Okay. Okay. I don't remember the breed of the horse per se, but it's a very specific one that almost went extinct at one point, possibly several times and she is in the process of tracing the horse's lineage back to the 1400s like we meet descendants all the time that talk about their family history everyone wants to talk about their family history but the fact that she was tracing she could trace this horse her horse that she was breeding back to the 1400s. It's the same horses that they used in like the crusades and stuff. Just so crazy. So cool. Bizarre. All the above. I've got nothing. It's <laughs> fucking weird. But it's it's interesting, <laughs> no, that's right? That's definitely cool. Yeah, we had a great conversation about it. You're like, oh, your horse is from here. I'm from Michigan. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I got. But yeah, that was pretty neat. You never know who you're going to meet on tour. That is very true. Or the stories you're going to walk away with. Both from us and from you. Exactly. All right. Before we jump into today's episode, we got a quick list of Patreon shout outs here. Um, Just a reminder, uh, for all of the charmed tiers and above, you should be getting a little pretty package in the mail. So if you haven't received those little merch packages by the end of this week, go ahead and shoot us a direct message on Patreon and just, you know, remind us. We want to make sure we have your address, uh, make sure nothing got lost in the shuffle. And for the Hocus Pocus tiers, you are... We'll be getting a t-shirt soon. We are in the process of designing those as we speak. I think we said we, we've got it. the idea nailed down. We just got to whip it up and get it out, get it printed, get the shirts, then get them to you. And if you were, whether or not you changed your tier at any point, if you at any point signed up for the Hocus Pocus group, you will receive a t-shirt. Yes, yes. And for those of you, there's like three or four of you who recently upgraded your tiers, you'll be getting your merched as well and if you want cool to say on the podcast merch free stuff from us extra videos content etc want to support the podcast jump on the patreon it's a cool place did you get your second yep england video up yep, yep. cool it's all about the uh it's a quick little 10 uh, 12 minute video on uh, the witch trials in Orkney up in Scotland where I visited. And I was actually like one of the things like on my list that I was like, this is why I'm flying 3,000 miles because the memorial that I saw there is actually one that I talk about on my tour. So learn a little about, about those witch trials, see the memorial, check that out. Is this also including the video of your hair flying sideways? No. You didn't put that in there? That's, that was going to keep that as like a little... 
surprise. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. People deserve to see that. <laughs> Your hair was literally horizontal. It was. That's that. Uh, that was going to do that in a couple of days. Be like, oh yeah. By the way, last video from my trip. Here's the hair video. Yes. Love it. <laughs> good. 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 But without further ado, our shout outs for the week. Starting off the list today, we have Natalie Pizzone. Thank you, Natalie. Rhymes with calzone. Well, it does. Okay. People love calzones. Sure. <laughs> I feel like she was probably bullied for that at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Natalie. I would embrace it. Natalie Pizzone wants a calzone. Wow. It's, I, I'm not, I got. You got nothing today. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Don't hate us. Okay. Next, we have one of my favorite people, Jessica Santos. Jessica is a local here in Salem. She's sort of my neighbor. We're a stone's throw away from each other. She was actually one of the first people to hear about the podcast. We talked about it at Opus. Oh, well, thank you, Jessica. Long, long ago. Rest in peace, Opus. Oh, we got another Salem local coming up. New Salem local. Katie Rosado. Katie was at the... Oh, she moved here from... Yes, met her at the live show. Yes. Thanks, Katie. Yep. And I ran into her twice. Like, you know how Salem's a small town. Yeah. I was giving a tour. She happened to walk by. And then when I was in the Salem library, finishing up live show mm-hmm. stuff, she just happened to be sitting like five feet away from me as I'm on the microfilm machine. Small, small town vibes. Yep. Can't beat them. And a big thank you to Megan Thompson. Thank you, Megan. Thank Appreciate you. you. Thank you, Megan. Great name. Also, thank you to Hannah Earnhardt. Thank you, Hannah. Sounds like a author's name. H. Earnhardt. Yeah. <laughs> Publish a book. Ooh, I like this one next. Ava Herms. Thank you, Ava. Thank you, Ava. And last uh, this week, thank you to Sue Allen. Sue Allen. Thank you so much, Sue. Last but certainly not least. Never least. You're all wonderful. Thank you so, so much for supporting the podcast, hanging out with us in the Patreon. You guys are awesome. We couldn't do this without you. But now, on with the show. Quite literally, because there was a lot of shows in this place that we're talking about. Yeah. So the Lyceum Hall is uh, one of the, I don't know, forgotten I was going to argue the opposite. Uh, maybe the, maybe all the details and yeah, Salem, yeah. Lyce- like the Lyceum itself, yes, people yes. don't know too much about because, of course, you walk by today and you smell fish. It's Turner's Seafood. Apples. Or apples. We'll <laughs> save that till the end. Sorry, sorry. But I think it's super notable for its history, its location, its prime spot right in downtown. And if you've taken either one of our tours or Mm -hmm. probably any of the other tours in town. I I would say not all. I can't guarantee all, but but almost every tour, whether it's a history tour, Witch Charles tour, Ghost tour, Lyceum's hitting all the all the buttons. So, Sarah, would you like to tell me what a Lyceum is? Well, sure thing. Thank you. So we should also mention that the Lyceum we're going to be talking about today was part of a larger educational movement that was happening not just in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. but all over the country uh, throughout the 19th century, particularly in the Northeast and Midwest. Lyceums were 
pretty much lecture halls. They were established for the purpose of improving, quote, the social, intellectual, and moral fabric of society. This was often done through, as you guessed it, lectures, but also debates, dramatic performances, readings, class instructions, and various forms of entertainment. I always sort of call them like like little TED Talks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good comparison. I was going to say, it kind of makes you want one in today's world, but I guess we have just so many different forms of entertainment. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. YouTube. Or you go to the theater. Yeah. All sorts of things. Live performances, music, Broadway. Imagine if all those things could fall under a single umbrella. 700 person umbrella. In the case of Salem, that is. So these programs were open to the public, although many had uh, memberships in place, which we'll talk about. And I guess you could think of it as more of adult education. So if you think back to the 19th century, not everyone's going through school. Not everyone's going all the way through school. The public school system is in its infancy. And this was a great way for adults of all ages, men and women, uh, to obtain general knowledge of all sorts. And there's one guy in particular we have to thank for establishing this Lyceum movement. His name was Josiah Holbrook. And a quick note, I found this quite funny. He was born in Derby, Connecticut. I, uh, I, I saw that and I was wondering if you'd uh, uh, bring that up. Of course. That's, that's where my my ex-wife's from what yeah oh well i was gonna bring it up because <laughs> i know i know derby i know obviously no there was no connection to derby there's a derby yeah. over in england but oh that's so i've been to derby like a lot <laughs> hi jeff's ex-wife <laughs> uh yeah yeah i was like derby connecticut it's like i've been there people are like oh my god jeff was married <laughs> so there we go yeah, I was, I was hoping he was going to bring that up. So Josiah was educated as a young boy and attended Yale as a young adult. So education was a big part of his life. It's obviously because Derby, New Haven's right there. So Right. He founded the first industrial school in 1819, organized the first lyceum in 1826, and inspired the formation of the American Lyceum Association. This movement saw its peak in the post-Civil War era, during which Lyceum stretched as far south as Florida and as far west as Detroit. That's, that's your neck of the woods. That is my neck of the woods. I'm heading there in exactly one month. This movement also encompassed mechanics institutes, so think similar to like the World's Fair, as well as agricultural organizations. So when I came in today... And we started chatting. I told you I was super excited about this topic, per usual. And I didn't really care that much when I sat down to do research, but you just find. <coughs> per usual. <coughs> but then you just keep finding stuff and it's so fun. You're just like in the history. I had a really cool connection to this. So during my grad school days, my capstone project was about an industrial school. Like a lyceum, it's providing public education, but it's for actual school-age children, a combination of academic study and practical skills. And the industrial school that I focused on, 
Um, we ended up doing a virtual exhibit in one of my classes. And then for my capstone, I put together a full-blown exhibit. It was about the industrial school for girls down in Dorchester, mm-hmm. so South Boston. So the fact that it's an industrial school and it's kind of under this umbrella of this movement is is neat in itself. So this was a school just for young girls, underprivileged. They were being taken in, fed, housed, and trained in the domestic arts, ideally to send them off to different homes so they could be domestic servants and work their way into society. So obviously you have to entertain these children. As I was sifting through the school's secretary notes, I had selected several of the unique activities that the girls had attended. And I got something fun to show you. One of my panels, because it's always good to have an interactive panel in an exhibit, I put together a Would You Rather board. And people that attended the exhibit got to vote for which one that they'd rather go to. So I'm going to show you a video of the panel. I guess I can hook it up to the show notes as well if people are interested. But the options were, now I'm going to make you choose, would you rather take a trip to Nantasket Beach to go sea bathing? So keep in mind, this is all things that the girls did. But you have to wear 1860s swim attire only. Or would you spend an afternoon at the first public aquarium in the U.S., which happened to be the Boston Aquarial Gardens? Or would you ring in the Christmas holiday with a 19th century ventriloquist and his dummy? So one year, instead of having Santa come in, they brought in a ventriloquist. And ventriloquists from the mid-19th century are not, they're, they're terrifying. Those dummies are terrifying. And last but not least, witness the newest technological innovations at the 1882 New England Manufacturers and Mechanics Institute. So like these mechanics institutes, like they actually brought these girls, the students to check it out, which is just so neat. And let me show you the visuals that went along with it because that kind of makes it. Do do you only get one? You only get one vote? Yeah. I mean, I told people they could if they wanted to put extra out there. Oh, everyone wants to go to the aquarium. That's fair. A lot of people. Okay. No one wants to see. Well, no, those are. Terrifying. Okay. Some some good voting there. Isn't that pretty cool? Nice little little display you got. Thank you. I think it goes, I like the Boston Aquarium. The aquarium's cool. It's a fun place. I think I'd vote aquarium. I think I voted, yeah, if you watch till the end of the video, I point or I put my uh, little button sticker on the New England Mechanics Institute. But just a cool little tie-in to this world of, you know, technological. Lecture halls and mechanics and, it's a, yeah, it's a big... Uh, the industrial era while a lot of times we talk about like manufacturing and you know all these things there was also like a whole lot of innovation invention education in in loads of different uh, contexts especially here in new england as well which we'll get into a little bit in a second when we talk about some of the people who were lecturing in salem so that first lyceum went up in 1826 over in millbury massachusetts And they began popping up in towns and cities across the Northeast. Worcester County Lyceum was founded in 1827. The Boston Mechanics Lyceum in 1830. And the Massachusetts State Lyceum in 1831. By 1834... 
there were roughly 3,000 lyceums throughout the country. That was fast. Extremely fast. It's like five years. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely took hold. People were into it. Something to do on a Tuesday. Exactly. Well, at least in Salem. I couldn't find it. Was that like the norm? Did you see it all? No, I think I, I did not see okay. what okay. days other lyceums chose. They couldn't have all been on the same day. No. And yeah. plus it wasn't just Tuesdays. Yeah. You know, if they sold a bunch of tickets, they would spill over into Wednesday and give the exact same talk. And then uh, the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society, which we'll bring up uh, a bit further down the line, they're lectures took place on Sundays. So it's not like it was just Tuesday and done. Yeah. But that that was in Salem at least, that was like the day that the Lyceum held stuff. Which is so fitting because we release episodes on Tuesday. So we're like We're we're basically Salem Lyceum reincarnated. Yeah, t- 2023. Sa- Salem the podcast, Salem Lyceum. I would say that our our uh topics are slightly more niche though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They had wide ranging topics but so you could say that salem takes a very early seat at the table Mm -hmm. the salem lyceum society was established in january of 1830 so just four years after the first lyceum in america was salem's on the bandwagon yeah yeah Ooh, and let's drop us into salem history real quick do you mean murder <laughs> I mean, that's there. I was gonna oh. say I have ri- I have written down on my notes: Derby's dead, McIntyre's dead, Captain Joseph White is almost dead. Almost dead. <laughs> when I was reading it, I was like, "Oh, it's 1830. That's that's Captain White. That's the murder." So, like, as the Lyceum, and I I think it's great that like all of these these things are going on in parallel to each other. This huge uh, intellectual movement and and the Lyceum and the lectures are all going on. Under the overtone of Captain White gets his damn skull bashed in, what, a half mile away? Yeah. Yeah. Around the corner and down the street. Yeah. It's great. And in a grander sense, our port here in Salem, the harbor, is in its final stages of decline. (laughs) The death throes of, of Salem's great age of sail. Yep. But Salem is still an intellectual hub, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, she's just coming off the great age of sail. So we've got beautiful buildings, wickedly smart individuals living here, a lot of wealth in the city, and the Essex Institute. Is, is flourishing. Yep. It's the precursor to the Peabody Essex Museum, as we've mentioned, founded in 1799. So they're just 30, 31 years old, depending on where we talk and... and uh, they are also responsible for some of the lectures and lectures that are coming in at that point in time. So again, Salem Lyceum Society founded in 1830 and their purpose? <coughs> the express purpose of the Lyceum Society was to provide mutual education and rational entertainment. I love that, rational entertainment. And this is both uh, for members and public. Uh, so it's not like an exclusive club. It's not like, oh, you can't come and... Like the Salem Anthenaeum. Right. So it's like we're going to provide this education and rational entertainment to uh, public and private. Now the building, or their first building, was constructed in 1831, about a year after they created the society. So so the Lyceum's founded, and they they hold a few lectures um, and whatnot. They established presidents and, you know meetings and boards before we even have a building. 
Yeah, most of those initial lectures were done in a couple different churches around town. But about a year into it, they raise enough money to build their first location. I saw that the land was about $750 and the building itself just over $3,000. So we're coming in just below $4,000, roughly $130,000 in today's money. Good amount of change, but also that's dirt cheap. I mean, $130,000 for... uh, A lecture hall? Yeah. And originally, as you mentioned at the beginning, 700 people it could accommodate in an amphitheater style. So you'd have the lecturer sort of in, in one corner. So imagine like a square rectangular building and then just up to the ceiling, the amphitheater style seats that could fit hundreds of people. Think like um, your English 101 class yeah, at a big yeah. university. It was decorated with, quote, images of Cicero. Yep. So this is a word that I've struggled with for Probably decades at this point. Oh, I'm I think trying. It's, I'm going to try. No, you try. I'm going to screw it up. Demothesis? Demothesis? I feel like Sam would know, and she's going to yell at us when she hears this. So I encountered this name and this person uh, reading Orson Scott Card's uh, Ender series, Ender's Game. Are you familiar at all? Vaguely. So uh, Ender saves the world, saves the planet. Uh, his brother... Uh, Andrew uh, goes on to become the first president of the free people of earth. And uh, his sister is like a blogger. Okay. Right. And she uses that pen name. So this person is an ancient Greek philosopher um, and like a public speaker in order. And they make their first speech, I think at like the age of 20. And, but in like this sci-fi novel, when I'm like in my twenties, I encounter this name and I'm like, did, did how do I say D- it? And and I saw it again researching this. I'm like, I don't know how to say that. I haven't. I known still how to don't say know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was w- weird to have that that little reference. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. So yeah. that's that's pretty neat. See, we've got all these cool little yeah. interesting tie-ins to our lives. So Cicero, Demothesis, Demothesis, Demoths. Sure. Demothesis. No, I'm just gonna <laughs> stop. And other great orators of bygone days. Lectures were held on Tuesdays, as we mentioned. Admission was $1 for men, 75 cents for women. And might I also note that women had to be, quote, introduced by a male to gain entrance. Now, for reference, $1 in 1830 was about $33 in today's money. That's a lot. It's a lot, but it also, it's like, Kind of the price of a tour now. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? It's not, I mean. It's a little more than. Yeah, a little bit more than the average tour in town, but not but far off. Not far off. I was thinking a movie. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, depending on when, I guess, movies are getting expensive these days. And you got to think it's a live performance. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good chunk of change. It is. So that they're pulling in. Yeah, 700 times. So $700. For that, a lecture. It only costs 3000 to build? Yeah. Ooh, that's a profit margin. You're pulling in 700 or, you know, men and women, but you, let's call it $600 at least every Tuesday. You're making almost your money back every five weeks. It's pretty good. Yeah. I see what it is. It's, it's a profit racket here. <laughs> Who cares about it? Educa- I was going to say, it's for public education, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. Okay. 
When, once you do the math, you the, realize. The betterment of society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rational education. And part of what contributed to that early success and helped them pay down the mortgage so quickly was a lot of the initial lecturers were members that kind of just did it pro bono or for a very minimal fee. Um, John Pickering was one of the Mm -hmm. first members, uh, son to Colonel Pickering, who we've talked about, and Charles Upham. And that's a name we've mentioned on and off, we could maybe do an episode, mini episode. Yeah, we could probably, yeah. Yeah, on on Mr. Upham. He sort of uh, is the, f- first is not the right word. One of the first. One of the first uh, sort of historians to, to write and encounter and publish uh, about the Salem Witch Trials. Along with being mayor, holds some other public offices in Massachusetts, I believe. I don't want to say governor, maybe secretary, maybe a senator. I can't remember off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, well, see, now yeah, we're going to have to do okay. a whole episode. Now we're going to have to get into Charles Upham. Who else we got on the list? So once the building was paid off, they could bring in more prominent guests. And keep in mind, they were selling out crowds left and right. So lots of lawyers, politicians, inventors, as well as writers and poets. First one I'll mention is former president John Quincy Adams, mm-hmm. who spoke on faith and government. Then we've got Oliver Wendell Holmes, who presented on lyceums and lyceum lectures. I found it quite meta. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, we're going to have Holmes talk about this place and what we're all doing here. But it makes sense. Yeah. You know, you got you to gotta pitch it to him. Why, why should you keep coming back? I can only imagine how it's important to the, the, the fabric of society and the, the education of the rational man and and da-da-da-da-da. Right. James Russell Lowe was a very famous romantic poet, mm-hmm. came and spoke on Dante. And here's a big one. Ralph Waldo Emerson, obviously a prolific writer, transcendentalist, and he appeared more than any other speaker almost 30 times. As well as Henry David Thoreau. Yep. So, so I, I knew, I think I knew about Emerson. I did not know about Thoreau. Right. We got a little, little, little Concord group coming up to Salem uh, to, to do all that. And, and it's funny, I think there's a, is, is it Emerson? He, he comes at the behest of Hawthorne. Yes. Yeah, so Hawthorne writes a letter uh, to him saying, can you come and speak in Salem? And also, by the way, Hawthorne didn't. Yeah, Hawthorne never spoke but yeah. he, I can't even imagine how many lectures he attended. And at that point, when he's asking them to come from mm-hmm. Concord, he is the secretary of the Lyceum. Yes. So. But he himself, author of Scarlet Letter, favorite son of Salem, uh, it doesn't actually speak there, but he gets Emerson to come up. Uh, and Emerson writes back. He's like, yeah, I'd love to be there. And uh, many of his works were sort of uh, to be published at that point in time. And uh, Hawthorne's like, hey, maybe you can like get one of your books back from the printers. And Emerson's like, I haven't actually sent them out yet, so I'll just like bring one with me. Like it's no big deal. Uh, and in one of his letters, he also mentions how he was talking to uh, uh, Mr. Alcott when he, before he oh. came up, which is because they were all friends. Wait, they were... Emerson said it or Hawthorne said it? Emerson said it. Okay. So cool. he's like, oh, I just spoke with with Mr. Alcott because of course they were neighbors. Yeah. Uh, and then he comes up and, and, and lectures here. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. All these little, I love, yeah. It's so fun. (laughs) Also kind of in that group, Horace Mann. 
uh-huh. who was married to one of the Peabody sisters, Mary Peabody. So technically Nathaniel Hawthorne's brother-in-law. And again, this tied back into my industrial school for girls project. I remember looking at donation lists and I would look up some of the names just if I thought, you know, if I can find them on Wikipedia, that's got to be significant. And Horace Mann used to donate to the industrial school for girls. He is widely regarded as kind of the father of public school education. And he came to speak at least on one occasion. Ah, And then we've got. Black Dan, uh-huh. Daniel Webster, Mr. Daniel is Webster in the house. Himself. What up? So uh, he he's actually an interesting because uh, again, so when it's first being built and 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 whatnot, he's you know uh, heading off that trial of, of of Captain White or Crown Shield with the death of Captain White, and he comes back to Salem uh, to lecture as well, and he also holds a cool other sort of promenade promination prominence. Record. Record. Yeah. Uh, he, he was gifted the largest sum to speak mm-hmm. at the Lyceum Hall. $100. Which if you do the math, is a bit of a, I mean, he's getting. Several thousand. I think it was like 3500 or so. Yeah, yeah. But if, if they're pulling in, seat, seating full house, 700 people. Ah, uh, yeah. Because he's not get, get, getting half. It's all for the betterment of education, Jeffrey. Of course. And uh, he speaks on the history of the Constitution of the United States. I saw that and kind of chuckled because we got such a good rundown. <laughs> of constitutional law last week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. At the live show. It so was great. Me, me, me and Black Dan, we'll, we'll talk. You're bonding yeah. <laughs> through the ages. So, of course, I went diving into old newspapers. And I don't know why I didn't think to do this earlier, but Salem Lyceum shows up everywhere. And I actually pulled one that talks about Daniel Webster's visit, if you want to hear it. Absolutely. That's your line, but... It's okay. We can share lines, Jeffrey. Sorry. I was going to write on my notes in the scope of, because it was (laughs) fitting for one of my statements. And I was like, I don't know if I can feel comfortable saying that. You've claimed it. (laughs) So this comes from November 16th, 1836, The New England Farmer. So this seems to be an article in preparation for the upcoming uh, lecture season. So they would usually do lecturing from, from what I saw, from October through the spring. Obviously, it's going to be a little hot during Mm -hmm. the summer months to cram 700 people into a place like that. Yeah, ew. Yeah, sticky. (laughs) Not a lot of wind in that part of Mm. town either. So referring to Mr. W, as they say, Mr. W. occupied the breathless attention of this vast assemblage for an hour and a half in a discourse on the progress and consequences of popular knowledge. It was profound, clear, philosophical. There was no effort at display. I love that line. He gave no effort. He was just that good. No effort at display, but the lecture abounded throughout in plain, practical, and conclusive arguments and illustrations to show that the condition of the world is rendered better and happier by the improvements made through the discoveries and inventions of science and art and the universal diffusion of knowledge. Here, here. It's like the internet. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Universal dispersion, diffusion? Diffusion. Of knowledge. That's the internet. 
what kind of knowledge is hey it's where i found this stuff so <laughs> i mean to be fair this yeah yeah so yeah our uh our favorite little black dan came through came back through salem after this infamous murder trial and spoke i think on several occasions at lyceum hall do you think he had the nude with him? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. I think as soon as he got that nude, he did not put that thing down. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go back to Salem Love Stories. <laughs> and you can you can look at not Daniel Webster's nude, but... <laughs> Good God. But uh, Sarah Goodridge's... Uh, oh, my, Jeff, no. <laughs> nope. I'm bleeping that. That's inappropriate. Her upper half. No, no, it's not. It's, it's it's like a it's like a her upper third. Chat, chat. Head, head neck neck down. Her yabos. There we go. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. Her 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 yabos. But yes, I do think he had the nude with him through all of his lectures. Probably it was probably his uh, good luck charm. Yeah. A little, little briefcase and like pulling out his lecture notes takes a little takes a little peek at the yabos. I will give ten dollars to anyone. Make it $20, $20 to anyone that takes Jeffrey's tour and asks if there are nudes in his briefcase publicly in front of everyone. That is the greatest thing. For those who don't know, Jeffrey carries a little briefcase around on his tours. Now, the Lyceum was also a, as we like to say, hotbed for abolition. So many abolitionists spoke here. Some of the most famous, I would say. Absolutely. We've got Frederick Douglass, who delivered a lecture shortly after President Lincoln's death entitled Assassination and Its Lessons. Also, Theodore Dwight Weld, perhaps a lesser known figure in the movement. But I do have a quick notation from the Liberator uh, from November 23rd, 1864, in reference to him. And for those who don't know, the Liberator's like the anti-slavery newspaper during this time. What you got? Theodore D. Weld Esquire of Lexington delivered a very able and forcible address before the Salem Lyceum on Wednesday evening upon John C. Calhoun, regarded as the embodiment of the slaveholding spirit. Mr. Weld's purpose was to show the intellectual and moral results of slavery upon the whites of highest culture in the South. It was an extremely vigorous and eloquent address worthy of the fame of Mr. Weld as an orator and scholar. He would later be described as, quote, eloquent as an angel and as powerful as thunder. His, his words were... Logic on fire. It's pretty nice, right? Damn. I know. William Wells Brown was another big one who had escaped slavery in St. Louis, Missouri on New Year's Day in 1834. So he is a runaway slave, became a conductor on the Underground Railroad in Buffalo, started lecturing for the Western New York Anti-Slavery Society in 1843, and moved to Boston in 1847. He published an autobiography entitled Narrative of William W. Brown, a Fugitive Slave, written by himself, second only in popularity to Frederick Douglass's memoir. I always say on tour, like, 
if these walls could talk, what a place to be. But, and are you going to make a joke about how it's not those walls? Okay, you know, we'll get to this. (laughs) This building burns down. Maybe that's why we don't see like the ghost of Frederick Douglass or William Lloyd Garrison or Lucy Stone in there. None of them died there. True, but maybe they want to come back and relive that moment. Maybe, maybe. If these walls, some walls, not those walls. Okay, if that spot. If that spot could talk. If that spot could talk. Maybe it does. Maybe that's why it's haunted. Oh, save the haunting for later. Sorry, sorry, I'm jumping the shark gun. The Salem Lyceum was so successful, the observer regarded it as, quote, the theater of New England. That's quite the uh, the title. Screw you, Boston. I know. Yeah, who's who? Who you got? Salem yet again. I mean, they had their own, but like Whatever. I think ours was better. Yet again, Salem coming out on top. The Lyceum Hall also hosted women. So we had said, if you were a female, if you were a woman, you had to be escorted by a man mm-hmm. to get in. But some women were actually invited to lecture there as well. Not a lot, just a small handful, but still notable at this. Absolutely. This point in time, Sarah J. Lippincott appears to be the first female lecturer. She gave a talk on the heroic in common life during the 1859 to 1860 season. We also have uh, one uh, British actress by the name of Fanny Kemble. She has a dramatic reading of A Midsummer's Night Dream. And we learned a lot about her on the Rainbow Tour which is a queer history of Salem tour done by Salem Night Tour uh, during Pride Month. June. June. And uh, so they have a full stop there all about her, all about uh, some of her relationships and her history and some scandal uh, revolving that. So uh, we're going to save maybe that for a whole nother thing or or talk if you're here in June, uh, take the tour and learn uh, learn more about her. Yeah, we should definitely do a queer history of Salem episode. But shout out to Sebastian, who I was, was our say, maybe maybe with a guest. Oh hell yeah! Yeah 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think Sebastian can teach us a few more things for sure. Clara Barton as well. This one's a big one. Uh, she is credited as the founder of the American Red Cross. Extremely well known for her role in the Civil War. So yes. she was a nurse in the Civil War and and had seen what she saw. Uh, the, 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 the horrors of, of that conflict and, and then spent her life after that advocating for the Red Cross and, and for, for the idea that we need to provide this, this medical aid. If you want to learn more about her, might I suggest heading over to the History Chicks podcast? I think they may even do a two-parter on her life. Well worth it. But yeah, she came to Salem. Um, I don't know this for a fact so this is like a like a maybe thing Mm -hmm. that i'd i'd heard uh from uh, some other tour guides years ago that salem was the first lyceum to have women lecture i wouldn't doubt it um given the prominence that that what you just said about salem's uh lecture or lyceum in in new england i can see it and i tried to see if i could like i'm I'm sure the information is diggable out there but i had heard that so i just wanted to throw that in there i hope it's true yeah salem's the first for all the cool things it is mary a livermore was another one uh she was a suffragist 
an abolitionist, and a temperance advocate. Oh, good. Dry. Dry, dry, dry. We talked about temperance a lot last week. She gave a lecture on various reforms in 1870 and came back the following year to talk about Queen Elizabeth. Interesting. So from what I could tell, the Lyceum Hall, I don't know if hosted is the right word, um, but they had a very good relationship with the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society, Mm -hmm. which also deserves its own episode at some point. It was founded, the organization was founded in February 1832. It was established by and for free black women, and it was the first of its kind in the country. They campaigned against slavery, opposed racial segregation, aided newly freed or runaway slaves, and supported schools for black youth. Two years after its founding, they would open up their ranks to white women, And as I mentioned earlier, their lectures usually fell on Sundays. Lucy Stone, another very famous abolitionist and suffragette, delivered the opening lecture on October 5th, 1851. So again, is that like the season opener? Yeah, okay. she was the seat, so she got to open the lecture series, Damn. which Love is just that. awesome. Lucy Stone is a super popular Boston woman known for everything I just said, abolition, suffrage. Uh, and again, she had donated to the Industrial School for Girls, which is just, it's just kind of cool. It's all, it's all part of the bigger reform yeah. movement, but yeah. it's so fun to see these connections be made Following her, so they would give lectures every Sunday. Following her, we have men, obviously, like Charles Remond of Salem. We are going to do an episode Uh on the Remond family. Wendell Phillips. John Brown, which kind of a big deal. John Brown would die in 1859 um, after leading a slave revolt down south. And William Lloyd Garrison who came to speak at the Salem Lyceum on several occasions. The Liberator offered a brilliant tribute to the society on December 13th, 1850. I want to touch on just a little bit of that real quick. In Salem, the difference between 1835 and 1850 has been brought about chiefly by the praiseworthy efforts of the body of women known as the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society. Sixteen years has this society been scattering anti-slavery seed, and we now see that it has not labored in vain. Its members have reason to rejoice that they persevered till the present moment. May they never grow weary in their well-doing. Most surely they never will. Their success should teach us to labor with renewed zeal in every good cause. They have demonstrated that women are capable of conducting affairs of public moment with as much ability as the other sex. Mm -hmm. I love it when they say shit like that. In the first days of their existence as a society, they called on gentlemen to preside at public meetings. Ew, but I mean, I guess you have to. But for the last few years, they have, as they should, taken the matter entirely into their own hands and that they have lost nothing 
by the change, all can bear witness who have attended their lectures. Godspeed the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society in its noble work of proclaiming the principles of universal freedom. The badass set of ladies. Yeah, we got a few of those in Salem. A lot, to be fair. Oh, yeah. I was going to say we could do a whole women's history episode, but that would be like a whole season of episodes, I think. No, um, uh, with all due respect, I'm going to say no. You'll just come with like... A book? A book worth of notes, (laughs) and uh, it'll turn into like six six hour episodes and... Uh, yeah, we don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just cut it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it, it's something that we talk about pretty consistently, um, all the all the important uh, women in Salem's history. Yeah, we don't need a single episode. They no. take up every episode. I agree with that. Huzzah. Huzzah. And last thing I'll mention here, there was also the Women's Suffrage Convention that was hosted At the Lyceum Hall, November 18th, 1874. And I think it's safe to say it was a regular meeting place for the Salem Women's Suffrage Club. And uh, they're part of a greater sort of Massachusetts. I mean, the suffrage movement continues. Um, But uh, they're sort of friendly about it, like pamphlets and snacks and sort of book club. And there's many different approaches to, to these sorts of conversations and some involve picket lines and you know whatnot and some involve pants yeah the atrocity <laughs> um but these women were uh and it might have been the, the the time a little more courteous uh as you might you know oh well they're not they disrupting i was gonna say they weren't disrupting the yeah. peace too yeah. much which actually is successful in in some of their endeavors of course um it's how you bring about change 1979, uh, Massachusetts passes a school suffrage law where women can vote for school committee members. And uh, Salem actually gets the highest number of women elected the next year to the school committee for women. So, and the women meeting at the Lyceum Hall are, are proponents of that. So, we now have elected officials in Salem in 1880 because the women meeting in the Lyceum Hall. I love it. But perhaps the most famous of all. Reindeer of all. (laughs) Nice. I was going to say lectures, but I don't know if you could consider this a lecture. Demonstration. demonstration. Yeah. Uh, By one Mr. Alexander Graham Bell. So it is the first public demonstration uh, of, of the telephone. I was going to say, I wish we had the, a ring. A ring? I was literally just like, is there a, the bell? Yeah. I was thinking about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Which arguably isn't how that would have gone, but that's okay. Tell us how it would have gone, Jeffrey. <laughs> well, there's no ringing uh, first off, so, so that's going to be an issue. Uh, it's more like a thud or like a click. Okay. Right, it's like sort of like a... um, Like the Morse code stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, telegram. Gotcha. Click, click. So it would click in like there's something coming and the, the ring comes later. Um, so 
this is it's a public demonstration, so the lyceum is filled, uh, as far as we're aware. Graham has already patented the phone. He has already made several displays of the telephone, uh, and this is sort of now a big public uh, display. And the reason for Salem, other than obviously Salem being <laughs> the cool kids club, is he was living in Salem. For a brief time. Yeah. Scottish-born, lives in Canada, works in Boston, living in Salem. And uh, that starts about 1873. And he was hired by someone to teach their son. So one thing that he was involved in was uh, the education, uh, teaching, and advancement of uh, of the deaf community. Uh, so hearing impaired. The telephone was actually supposed to originally be like a hearing aid. Wow. Um, was sort of where that started um and he's been involved in this for for most of his life uh his mother had had hearing issues he was suffering hearing issues uh genetic whatnot and so that was sort of his goal but then also uh that telegraph is within the industrial revolution almost outpacing itself in terms of an invention right because the original telegraph one wire one sound can only be used back and forth so all these companies are like we (laughs) that's not that's not going to cut it it's becoming more and more popular so now we're sort of learning how to send some multiple sounds across the wire uh we get up to four uh with some of edison's inventions but it's still all just tapping and beeping it's not our actual voice. Uh, but Bell does nail down that invention with the help of one Mr. Watson. Yes, I thought that was quite fitting that yes. the gentleman he called up, his assistant in Boston, mm-hmm. was named Watson. It's very Sherlock Holmes. So uh, Watson is is interestingly uh, from Salem. I did not know that. Yeah, I I missed that one until this week. That's cool. Yeah. So that's how they meet. So so Bell is living here. He's uh, living actually on Essex Street. Yeah, it's really funny. I just saw the plaque maybe a month and a half ago for the first time. I've it, walked past it a million times. It's a little, it could do with a clean. Yeah. It's also like person size. So it, it I don't, like no, you think of a plaque like, a couple of feet by a couple of feet at like eye level. Right. It's like, it's got to be like six feet tall, five feet tall on the side of the building that is now the YMCA, which is 242 Essex Street. Um, of course, the original building has been torn down, uh, et cetera. But that is where he was living uh, while teaching the, the, these, these deaf children. Uh, so he was making his home in Salem and he's trying to work on this device that is going to become the telephone. And he meets a man by the name of uh, Mr. Watson, uh, who is a bookkeeper, carpenter and like engineerish kind of guy. And together they, they collaborate into what is going to be- become the telephone. Um, now of course they make the first phone call, not in Salem. Um, they make it in Boston in March of 1876 and for those of you who are unaware, it's within the same building, right? They're just offices, and they're like a couple offices away. They set up the wire. They have the device, and uh, Bell calls Watson. So what happens is he sort of clicks the, the machine, the telephone. Uh, Watson gets the click on his end, and, and then he can listen. And uh, you 
we can we'll throw up some pictures of, of what that looks like. And at this point, you can actually speak through it. Yeah. Um, so it's like those old handheld hold to the ear and to the mouth kind of style phones, but it's more like a speaker on a box. And then on the other end, there's another box that the voice comes out of. Um, and he says, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. So those are the first words spoken over the telephone. Uh, that's just about a year, uh, before that public display. So if anyone tries to tell you that the first phone call overall phone call was made in the Salem Lyceum that yep. that is incorrect yeah. you're first, close yeah it's uh not necessarily the first public display there were like a few like smaller like to like some companies and to some investors and you know so it it gains notoriety um they go up to Durant up to Toronto they have some test calls they make some uh, that are further and further apart they get about eight miles like okay we got this and then on February 12th 1877 Bell and Watson uh, sell up the telephones 35 miles apart here to Boston um it's actually at the headquarters of the Boston Globe where Watson set up so not only is this uh like the first long distance phone call it's literal news the first time news has ever been transported in such a way. Yeah. Um, so they they make that call. Um, so cool. God. I I, can, I was going to say, can you imagine being like, in that room and watching it happen? Hearing. Can you? I can, I can pick up my phone and FaceTime people on the other side of the planet. And see them. And this is the first time anyone but a handful of people are hearing uh, Watson's voice, anyone's voice, from miles and miles away being projected. It must, I mean. Like I said, I can't imagine. Yeah, there's like a sense of history that's just, like like the weight of it is almost incomprehensible. You're like, that that changed, that changed the game. Like, that was it. That, that That's how you're hearing us now. That's, uh, all of that starts, starts with that. It's very cool. It's just crazy. So February 12th, 1877. So it's interesting. Uh, Mr. Watson is the receiver of the first phone call, the first long distance phone call, uh, as well as the first transcontinental phone call, which doesn't happen for a few decades after that. Uh, but they, uh, Boston to, to California, uh, they, they do that. Wow. Um, so he, there you go. He's uh, Watson's keeps, keeps answering Bell's phone calls for, for decades. Love it. Uh, Bell goes on to found the American Telephone and Telegraph Company. Do you know what that is? AT&T? AT&T. Are you serious? Yeah. That was a guess. <laughs> That's good. Spot on. Gold star. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'll take that gold star. Absolutely. But yeah, that's uh, in, in the Lyceum Hall. I just, every time I talk, I'm just like, what, what must to hear that? And then also uh, other uh, participants in the room got to use it as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, do you want to volunteers? I'd be like, I get to talk to someone in Boston from Salem. Sure. And it's like uh, alien technology. I yeah. feel like they would have seen it as. I mean it's un unknown to them in any way. Or maybe even magic. Magic. <gasps> oh. That's good. It pr probably did seem like magic. Sorcery. Witchcraft even. Not yet. Uh, Almost. Can I can, can I jump to the next thing? Because oh, that's, yeah. there we go. So uh there's my there's my segue. Oh, I thought you were talking about like hauntings no 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 no. that's that's the next magic. the next next yeah 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 uh i've got an interlude here 
Um, so 1877, uh, a few years later in 1882, uh, now we've talked about the spiritualist movement and era with the Houdini episode and a couple other times, uh, but now that's what we're getting into in the terms of the, the, the fever that's coming across the country. And in November, uh, we have a woman by the name of Anna Eva Fay demonstrates her ability to speak to the dead as she performed what is called a spirit cabinet. Now, for those of you who don't know, you can probably Google it. You can also go back and watch Fool Us, uh, an episode that premiered in November, where my friend Caroline performed a spirit cabinet about 140 years later. Uh, so now she's doing it on TV, the same thing. Still holds up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you basically just get put in, you're in a little room. Uh, it's like a, not a real room, it's like a mock room. And then uh, they draw the curtain or close the door. And... The person in the chair is put in a trance, put to sleep, and they're tied to this chair. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the door closes, items and articles that have been on the table start flying out of the room. And then you pull back the curtain and the person is still sitting in the chair. And those things are happening far too quickly for that person who is tied down to be able to throw them. So that is a clear, well, what else is going on? And that is that person's ability to commune with the dead. Interesting. Um, of course, this is just a magic trick, right? A uh, little bit of a sleight of hand illusion, uh, those sorts of things. Um, they're not actually communing with the dead, but this is the act that inspires the sub trunk, which Houdini uses, you know, when you get locked in, in underwater. Um, and it is sort of one of the founding tricks of uh, escape artistry. And uh, later in life, she becomes, um, instead of uh, a medium doing this, she becomes sort of a, a, a magician debunking some of these things. And sort of the idea between the two is like a medium is like, oh, look, I'm communing with the dead while doing this. Whereas which is a magician is like, I'm doing this and you don't know what I'm doing. You you don't know. I got tricks. And that, so they're admitting that they don't know. A little bit more honesty. Yeah. A little yeah. bit less deceit. Yeah. And actually we'll try and also throw up a picture of, uh, the promotion. Have you seen that? The promotional poster? Yeah. I have not. So you can see it here at the bottom. Oh, that's cool. I'd <laughs> go to that. That is very cool. Yeah. But obviously she was not communing with the dead, even though there are many reports that Turner's, the old Lyceum Hall. Oh, yes. Many, many. Is one of the most haunted spots in the city of Salem. Hence why you are probably going to be visiting it on one of your ghost tours. Because they're not talking about all the history. They're talking about the ghosts. Specifically, the ghost of Bridget Bishop. <sighs> but first, it does come to an end, unfortunately. Oh, yes. Yes. Can't Obviously, we don't have a lecture hall here in town anymore. Yeah. At least not in that location. No. So if you go in and you're like, where did all these 700 people sit? They didn't. Well, they did, but not not in what is today Turner's. So I couldn't find any specific sources for the fire that destroyed the original Lyceum building. It was a wood structure. Um, and obviously the one that you see today is brick. Mm -hmm. I had even read at some point that it was destroyed in the Great Fire. That is inaccurate. That, that's inaccurate. Yep. It did happen much, not much earlier, but a, a decade at or least. So, yeah. Turn of yeah. the century. Turn of the century, um, the the building was burned so severely, it was demolished. They put up the current structure in place of it. 
And I wonder if this is also why the Salem Lyceum closed up shop. It's a pretty good, it seems like a pretty good reason. So the Boston Evening Post on January 26th, 1898, published this short note. It's titled, Salem Lyceum to Wind Up Its Affairs. The Salem Lyceum, which was organized in 1830 and maintained an annual course of lectures up to 1894, bringing some of the best speakers in the country to Salem, has decided to wind up its affairs and will petition the legislature for the right to transfer the funds on hand, about $3,000, to the Essex Institute with the condition that the income shall be used for an annual course of lectures in Salem. The Salem Lyceum is one of the oldest organizations of the kind in the country. Maybe shortly thereafter they closed the doors. and. Or, yeah, I guess if, it, if there had been a fire, they probably, they probably would, have would have mentioned, mentioned it. it. So, maybe, so now that maybe they're looking to sell the buildings, sell the property, and at some point within the next couple of years there, there seems to be a fire. Or someone lights the fire to get the insurance money. Oh, Just kidding. Oh, I don't think they needed that no. by any means, but it's a thought. But it, it is weird because we have pictures of the old wood building. We have pictures of the new brick building. And uh, sort of generally amongst historians in Salem, at least, no one, everyone's like, yeah, um, it, there was a fire. Yeah. Right? Everyone can sort of, and that's all, that's all anyone knows. So she closes her doors, at least in that regard. But it does continue on to host the building, that is, continues on to host a variety of businesses, including the Lyceum Bar and Grill that opened in 1898 by George Harrington. And it would continue on to Turner's today. Several restaurant iterations in between. It used to be the old Lyceum restaurant uh, up until, I believe, 2013. I think that's right. This is when Turner's... uh, Opens there, and so it's not the only. Turner's is a. They have uh, one in Marblehead. Uh, sorry, um, Milford. I think it might be Milford. Yeah, Gloucester. So there's a couple. Gloucester has the fishing market. Yeah, yep. yeah. But anyway, new building, restaurants, and lingering spirits. Dun dun dun. Of course, because everything's haunted in Salem. Everything, even the pepper. I was like, where where are you going with this one? So the big claim, or actually I should say one of the biggest claims to fame about this location, it's not the fact that Frederick Douglass spoke there or Garrison or Lucy Stone or, or even I mean, the, people mention the telephone stuff yeah, a lot. But, but even like Bell gets shoved under the rug yeah. a lot for the ghost of Bridget Bishop. Yes, most people focus so hard on the fact that this building was built on land that once belonged to Bridget Bishop. Specifically, that part probably would have been her apple orchards. Mm -hmm. So we get a whole slew of different appearances, stories, ghostly encounters. And and, and that's not only like, like, um, I've heard uh, that at the top of the stairs, they see like a woman in like white as though she's hanging uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I've heard that there's even other uh, phenomena, like the smell of apples. Oh my gosh, that one I think is touted more than any of them yeah, all. Yeah, and if and perhaps on the darkest of nights, and just it just so happens that you know Turner's may s- 
sell an apple dessert. Yeah, or, yeah. Or in the case of the Ghost Hunters episode, so they did debunk some of this stuff. Okay. So there are two ghost hunting teams, at least, the two main ones that went to visit uh, the old Lyceum. Ghost Hunters, which I watched religiously as a child. Taps, if you guys yep, remember yep, yep. remember them. And then Ghost Adventurers. Uh-huh. I, I tried to watch, I think it's Ghost Adventures. Yeah, the second one. <laughs> I, I th- three, three minutes. Yeah, so they, you couldn't, I couldn't find a full episode. Like no. you had to get on Travel Channel or Discovery mm-hmm. Plus to watch it. I was it. like, I can't. I, mean, I, I just wanted to like choke slam this moron. Oh God, he's talking about Zach Baggins. Oh my God. Someone get this clip to Zach. Jesus. Like, did you, you see the clip where he goes up to the people on the segways? Are you, are you witch? Like, are you, uh, is this the 2010 version of a broom? Like oh. here we got the broom with Samantha and these are modern day brooms. They're segways back in the day when Salem actually had segway tours. I remember that. Hilarious. Like, are you a witch? You think, oh, careful. These people could be witches. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, no, it's all very, uh, Ghost Adventures in general is very cheesy. It's an acquired taste, one that I have never gotten on board with. I was going to say I did not acquire it. There was nothing about it. And so one of the things that I'm very critical of when it comes to ghost hunting is like some empirical data, uh, like a serious tone, some scientific research, um, not running around with a camera being like, oh, 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 there's ghosts and witches here. I'm like, I I don't, nothing you tell me after that, I'm going to take seriously. Uh, Taps, I think, is a much more sort of professional uh, endeavor. And they do try and replicate phenomenon and look for reasons what what else might be happening. And are there electrical uh, uh, EVPs? And, you know, over the course of several nights, not like we were in there for an hour and some dishes flew off the wall. Maybe it's the witches on the segways. Yeah, their their main goal is to explain. Yeah. And if that means that there are no ghosts or hauntings, then that's just what it is. And they're very upfront about that. Back to the um, claim of seeing the woman in white. Mm -hmm. So at least one of those stories comes from that episode of Ghost Hunters. So taps, to be clear, not Ghost Adventurers and Zach Baggins. So one of the bartenders, I think it was the bartender or maybe a server working in the restaurant, she was going up to the second floor, and on the landing, she saw a woman in period clothing. She immediately, like, when at first, at first, her thought was someone was breaking in because I think the restaurant was empty at that point, uh, and she soon realized that this is not a normal human, and kind of fell backwards, rushed to the bottom of the stairs, and she said she almost fainted from the encounter. So it's it's hard. I I appreciate. Personally, when you hear it from the individual. Mm -hmm. So if they're telling you the first person story and they truly believe it, I'm not saying it can't be explained away, but that is pretty convincing. So, and and with a phenomenon like that, you have two choices. And I talk about this on my night tour. I can either say I believe you or you're just an outright liar. And I I don't feel like that's the case for, for most encounters. Maybe some, but I feel like most people... Uh, have seen or experienced something um and then trying to figure out what that is is where we get into the very complicated discussions of the paranormal right um 
And then what we do as people, we're like, well, it's the Lyceum and maybe Bridget Bishop and she lived here and is hurt and she was hanged. So da da da. She's and, angry because she doesn't have her land anymore and people are talking about witches every day. Right. And I don't know. Maybe all that's possible. Or maybe it's someone else. Maybe someone else died on that land. Maybe it's someone who lived in a building adjacent or near or on that property. Or died in the tunnels. It, oh, Just I, kidding. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there are so many other things, and, and we tend to, to jump to to that one thing that, that we know of. And also, then you, you have to get into the discussion of, well, she didn't die there. She died two miles away. I say a mile. A mile away? Yeah. Uh, her body was discarded a mile away. Uh, and then, then you, well, she could just come back. Like, well, if ghosts can just go back to anywhere they are, why is anyone haunted to the place where they died? You're like, oh, this is a tragic thing. And, and they, then you're getting into, like, the whole realm of, as you said, paranormal phenomena. Right. Um, did she see something? I'd, I'd believe her that, that she did. What that is? We can't say. Yeah. Some other things they debunked, um, a lot of people saw like shadows, mm-hmm. but we all know that that's a street right there. So they noticed as the cars are coming by, lights shining in the window, there you go. Also, people claim, and I've heard this one before, to see Bridget or some other ghostly apparition in the mirrors. I've heard specifically in the bathroom, and then there was a mirror that's very, uh, it was kind of like facing the landing of that stairwell. I don't know if that is still there. I, I think we should probably go to lunch at Turner's soon, um, just so we can really bask in the history. Mm-hmm. But they upon closer examination, discovered that that mirror was filled with, you know, scuffs and scratches and uneven surfaces. And it was very likely just people, um, what they like to call matrix matrixing, matrixing. Yeah. where you see faces where there are none because your brain just works that way sometimes. We recognize faces and we like to apply, you're like, oh, you're looking up in the clouds and there is an Easter bunny and that looks like Whatever else. Exactly. I was going to say Jesus, but we should. So they did encounter one anomaly. The point of sale systems, the the computers, the POS Mm -hmm. systems, they turned on, two of the monitors turned on by themselves without any type of warning. You know how sometimes it's believed that ghosts can. Right. Electrical energy. Right. Sure. So they start trying to converse with whatever spirit may be there, asking questions. Can you move something? Can you do something with these monitors, this technology? And out pops a receipt. So out of the the POS system comes this receipt, and it reads... And this was at 1.26 in the morning... And all the receipt said was, good morning, dot, dot, dot. So after the investigation, they do their whole thing where they sit down with whoever called them Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And they ask, does this ever happen? Is this normal? Is this a normal message that will pop out when these things start? And she claimed that that has never happened before. Dun, dun, dun. So their conclusion was... It's probably not as haunted as most people think, but there was that instance that they really could not explain. 
So we do have some unexplained uh, phenomena uh, and some phenomena has been explained. And the use of the first public display of the telephone, uh, women's suffrage, uh, and... Uh, Abolition. Uh, Black Dan. Oh, Daniel Webster. Thoreau. Walcott. Emerson. Oh, riddled with history. Just, so, so much history. Just like everything else in Salem. But I feel like this is a hyper-concentration. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, literally. In that one spot. And the coolest part isn't even Bridget Bishop. I think that falls all the way to the bottom of the list. Should go get some apple pie. And some lobster bisque from oh. Turner's. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Put some extra pepper on it. Heck yeah. <laughs> Haunt me, please. <laughs> Bridget, where are you? But with that, is that it? I think that's it. That's it. Well done. Done and done. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you.